Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Coming up on today's show, it'll be theater, then film. Later on in the show, I'll be speaking to Jérémy Abissera about the European Union Film Festival. And up first, I'll be speaking to Philip Aiken, theater legend, about his take on the Lehman Brothers trilogy, which is part of the Canadian stage season. My next guest is no stranger to the acting world, whether it be television, film, or most importantly, the stage. Uh, he is the one of the founding members of Obsidian Theatre Company, which is Canada's leading black theatre company. And he served as artistic director from 2006 to 2020. Those of you who do not know Philip Aiken, let me introduce you. He has been the recipient of the Silver Ticket Award, the Mallory Gilbert Leadership Award, the Playwrights Guild of Canada Bras d'Or Award, the William Kilburn Award, the Herbert Whitaker CTCA Award for Distinguished Contribution to Canadian Theatre, the Premier's Award for Excellence in the Art, as well as the Lifetime Membership Award from Canadian Actors' Equity Association. He is also a wonderful person to talk to. And uh, I forgot to mention, he's also a Dora Award winner. Right before our interview, I mentioned all of these things to Philip, and this is where our interview with him, the focus of our interview today is the Lehman Brothers trilogy, which he is directing and which will be presented at the Bluma Appel Theatre. Here now is my chat with Philip. Philip Aiken, welcome to my show, The More the Merrier. You were saying you don't even know how you got here, Philip. How you? But, but you're, but you're, but you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's just, um, it's just strange, you know. I, I, I sit there in, and people, you know, do what you just said, like read out accolades and and things, and I, I, I don't even know it's me they're talking about. It's. It's, it all seems a little um, third person somehow in my head. Like, oh, that, that guy sounds really cool, but that guy isn't me, is it? And yeah, I guess it, <laughs> and then it's me. So I find that a little weird, right? For those of us on the other side looking in, we know, we know it's you because yeah, <laughs> it's like, we've been, we've been following, we know. And um, you know, as a, as a black woman looking at a black man, we know. <laughs> we know, yeah. yeah. We know. I mean, and, and, it, and it didn't used to be like that, right? I mean, you know, you st- I mean, I remember starting out in the business and I, I, I felt like I was a, a one-legged kangaroo. There were so few black artists around. And uh, I like to tell the story of uh, like Night Heat, where it was all about, a, you know, inner city cop show in the States. And, and I was on that show like seven times as seven different uh, black guys, all of whom like street denizens. And I got killed in every show. And it was just like, I felt like a zombie coming back to die again. 
yeah uh, yeah it's like what we see back in the day when we saw a black person it was like hey yeah so now here you are uh director of the lehman uh trilogy which is at can stage how do you make a play like this that's already played in uh london and new york how do you put your stamp on on a play like this um well, first of all, I mean, I don't, as a rule, go and look up video of other productions. I mean, I did see like one little clip of the of the New York production, and I knew that what they the way they were approaching it was not the way that I would approach it, um, just stylistically and um, you know, in set and stuff. And it was a really sort of like striking uh, approach to the piece. And so what are you going to do? You, you're going to like, uh, you know, follow along and replicate or are you going to try and put something else into it? And um, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know any of the people in those productions, but I can only come at it. As you said earlier, I'm a black man. So that's going to uh, impact my view of the world and and things that are going to stand out for me, uh, things that I'm going to want to kind of highlight for me as a black man are going to come out in a different way than they would if it was coming from another viewpoint. So I think that's what I, I looked at was this is a, a story of American capitalism and uh, American mythology and uh, what was that built on and how was that created and what was the impact of that. So I'm going to look at it from a slightly different perspective, I think. I think it's interesting that um, you're quoted as saying, I ain't here to pick your intellectual cotton. (laughs) (laughs) And and you're doing about a play that starts with cotton picking. (laughs) It sure does. It sure does. And so um, how do... How does that manifest? You know, because that's that, you know, even in my head, that's a bit of a dichotomy. You know, that's 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 on me for coming up with a really badass phrase. And now I have to own it. (laughs) And um, but it's true. So how do we make that part of the story? I think I've done it in a really interesting way. I think that when people, you know, come and, and, and see the show, they're going to to see that that clear opinion stated um, in in a powerfully visceral way. And I'm not gonna talk about it because it's the cool part, one of the cool parts of the show. So, but it, it's important that, uh, that that statement is made. Did you have anything to do with the, uh, with the Canadian casting? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, a hundred percent. In fact, uh, Oh man, you you've got me close to one of my big rants. I I was looking for um, actors, great actors, who can take in massive amounts of text and memorize it and spit it back out in the right order at the right time with intelligence, creativity, and originality. I was I was that's what I was looking for, and I got. I think three of the best guys in the country to do this play. How did you know they were right? Because you're seeing them in auditions. How, what is it that tells you that each of them can do a three hour play? 
Um, well, okay. So who, who, who was, who was cast first? Uh, Graham Somerville. Okay. So let's um, start with Graham. What did you see yeah. in him? Well, okay. First of all, there weren't any auditions. Ah. Right? There, were, there were conversations. I, I know Graham. Um, I've seen his work over the years at Shaw. He worked for me in the, um, in my production of Trouble in Mind. Uh, I saw him in the apple cart this last summer. I've, I've loved his work for years. And he was the first guy who came to mind for me that, that I knew was going to be um, a mensch. He was going to be a guy who, who could deliver the goods. And from there, um, I had a lot of conversations. Uh, I've all, oftentimes I've, I've uh, talked with my agent Alicia Jeffrey about casting, and because she she knows so many people in the business, and and we talked about a bunch of people and stuff, and 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 brought Ben Carlson's mind uh, name to me, and I didn't know Ben, but I do know his work, and and I know his street cred. And so he was the next guy. And um, and then Jordan Petal, who I almost got a chance to work with years ago and didn't. And I've always wanted to work with since. And um, so he was the third man that we picked. So you've got uh, a strong cast and a personal attachment. And uh, how was that first table read? Um, it was uh, it was long. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. The original play is five hours, and they've got it down now to, to to three. So I know, I know it was it was long, but you know it's it's like how do you? For me, I I and I said this, you know, to the producers. I said, look, we either put a real theatrical stamp on the piece, or we buy three Barca loungers and have the guy sit at the foot of the stage and tell stories for three hours. Right. Uh -huh. And so I, I'm coming at it with a, with a very theatrical overlay on top of the piece. And, and so that means pulling together a particular crew. I mean, you know, Cami Koo to do the set because she and I've worked together and she always does amazing things with shows that I'm on and, and Steve Lucas to light it because, I mean, Steve and I, this is like our 12th show together. Uh, Mickey Rodriguez for sound because, you know, uh, Mickey and I have done stuff together. I mean, it, it was building a real clue, a crew. And I brought in like Alexis Milligan for as, as a movement uh, director. Uh, so I've got a really fabulous team and we're all working together to put this particular stamp on the show. Um, so that it's theatrically interesting and and that our work is as monumental as the story. I'm familiar with your crew and I thought, whoa, um, the actors, not so much. So I'm looking forward to seeing their work. And with your name on it, I was already in, um, uh, you know, I, I've got my media comp, but yes, good. I, I have a feeling that I will be buying some tickets to bring some friends to see this. And um, my friends are always looking out for great shows. And I know this is going to be one of them because it's got your stamp on it. Well, so um, how long was the rehearsal period for you? Uh, three and a half weeks. Uh, well, no, that's a lie. It was um, three weeks and one day of which um, 
you know, we lost about three days in that time due to personal commitments, mine being one of them. And, and so it's, uh, it's been, it's been a, a, a really focused um, working period. And, but the other thing too, that you balance off is you may have X number of hours in a day, but when you have only three people in virtual, in every scene, doing a, uh, not just sitting down and talking, but moving um, and you're creating uh, designs on the stage with different set pieces and set prop pieces and, and all of that, you know, you, you just can't, some days you just can't do a full 10 to six day and, and, you know, it'd get to be four thirty or so. And I'd be like, you know what, My, I'm baked, you're baked, go home. <laughs> um, it's almost like because, you had um you know a, a week per hour for this yeah but but yeah. I know it, I know it doesn't work that way but um in terms of them the, your actors how many people do they each play because we're talking about the Lehman family and I understand that they play uh the, the original brothers that came over uh, to they America. play the original brothers, the sons, the grandsons, the wives, all the women they picked wives from, kids in their Hebrew class. They play uh, northern industrialists. They play, you know, uh, they play. A oh, lot my of goodness. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's 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 like turn on a dime. It's like, you know, you're in a scene and then all of a sudden somebody turns into somebody else and does like five lines and then turns out and into somebody else. Like it's it is it is constant every time. So and also it's not like they just inhabit the part of of, let's say, uh, Emmanuel Lehman. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like um so there are lines that are written in italics in the script, and that is when they are playing particular people. But a vast majority of what's said in the play is what would be in a narration context. So you can have whole scenes of people describing things that are going on. And then you go, oh, well, do we do the action if it's being described? And so we, we had to make some really stylistic choices. And, and one of them was, you know, how do we capture the audience and, and, and make them part of our, of our deal by turning on their imagination in the first few minutes? Mm -hmm. So we don't play the soundscape off the top. We don't, there's a lot of stuff we don't do right off the top because I need to engage people start to imagine in their minds so that they're free to springboard between characters right because you're also moving through time with this yeah it's like generational yeah. generationally yeah and so it's it's all really easy um <laughs> it's all really easy for me i look at the script and i say oh we're in 1867 However, that's not notated in the in the program. So we're going to go from 1844 to 2008. And I think uh, people will get the passage of time, but not know precisely when each scene happens, because each scene is a different year. Ah, OK. And um, I think many people like myself know the Lehman brother named because of the bank and you know it, it failed 
mm-hmm. dramatically. So that's what we mm-hmm. know, but we don't necessarily know the people behind the story. So this play um, by uh, Stefano Messini um, is our opportunity to sort of see this fictionalized version um, yeah. of the of the Lehman Brothers. Yeah, and I mean, by time the bank collapsed, there wasn't the only thing Lehman in the company was the first word of the name. Yeah, right. Like none of none of the family were involved at all, and and I think it's also really important that that people understand that there. I mean, it's come it's from a novel. It it isn't documentary. There are uh, things that things that are uh, true. Many things that are true in the piece. But there are also things that, you know, there was there was never a guy named Solomon Proprinsky who was a tightrope walker who spent every day on a tightrope wire walking back and forth across Wall Street for 50 years. Right. That yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> but he's a but he's a big character in the play. Yeah. So the, the metaphor. Um, yeah. So what besides wanting work? Why did you say yes? To, why did you say yes to this play? Uh, you know, Donna, that's such a great thing. Um, since since I'm back being a freelance director, um, what I've been saying yes to are to plays that I don't kind of get. I'm saying yes to if a play offers me an opportunity to do something new, learn something new in, I, I feel in, in whatever years I have left directing that I don't want to keep just doing the same stuff. And, and, and I know what I'm good at. I mean, a good naturalistic play, you know, all of that stuff. I'm great at that. No question. And, and yet if we look at the four pieces that I've done this year, one was an opera. One was uh, Manama, which came out of a devised creation that I had no business. I had nothing to do with the devising of it originally. And then there's Heroes of the Fourth Turning. And then there's Lehman Trilogy. And all of those pieces are hugely different. And they afford me, um, afford me an opportunity to keep growing. And and I think that's why I said yes to it. It's a monumental piece. It's a huge piece. It means that um, I have to bring in people and and give them a, a different kind of space to for them to create on top of what I'm doing. Um, you know, my I think one of my uh, superpowers is in text analysis and. Yet a big part of the first week and a half, almost two weeks of rehearsal was less about text analysis and more about the movement and creating the images and the energy on a huge set. So that's different for me. And, and I, and, and, and I, I'm afraid I'm, uh, just really, just really uh, attracted to those new explorations that all doesn't sound too wussy i just are, are I you just need i need new you, things are you nervous no i'm all i'm all, i'm always nervous <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well i'm not always nervous i mean that's 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 a quick quip 
Um, yes, in, in things like this, yes, I am nervous. But most plays I have, um, uh, I know what what we were going for and what we're creating. And I, and, you know, I firmly believe that um, what's important is setting the goal at the start of rehearsal. What was what is it that we're trying to accomplish? And then if I can get to the place where I can say, even before an audience comes in, we have accomplished what we set out to do, then I'm fine. Right. I'm I, I, I don't need a review to tell me the show's great. I don't need any of that. What I need to know is that we accomplished to the best of our ability what we set out to do. And then I'm good. It's 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 the it's like the, my first pass through a play and I work really quickly on a first pass. And once I've gotten through that first pass, there's like the tension leaves me because I go, okay, I've, I've got a path through and now we can embroider. Now we can finesse. Now we can nuance. Now we can do everything else until I get that first pass through. It's, it's always really tense for me. Um, after there that was a first, moment, go ahead. No, there was a moment in the play, like, and it was, I, 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 I really hit a, I it just hit a block and I just didn't rehearse. I said, you know, just go home. I don't, I don't know what to do here. I, you know, and it was, it was a design idea that I wanted and agreed to, and then turned around and just flummoxed me. And then I was stuck. And I came home and I talked and I still stuck. I slept on it in the morning. I was still stuck. I came in and I'm talking to one of the actors and I'm saying, listen, this is my problem. I'm just really dotted to dotted. And then the answer came. Ah. How did, how, and I went, oh, okay. If I did this, how would that be? And then if I did this on top and then immediately went and had the, the technical director uh, come into rehearsal and say, okay, will this idea work? Is is it feasible? Does it trip any safety issues? Is it this? Uh, I said, because right now this idea and I are dating and I want to know if I should marry this idea or not. <laughs> and he came back and he said, you know, you can definitely date. I'll let you know if you should get married. And all of a sudden it solved the whole back end of the play. It's interesting that uh, you kind of, the question I was going to ask was, did any of the actors want to throw the book at you in rehearsal? But <laughs> you threw the book at yourself. It's like yeah. you're the one that had the yeah. obstacle to overcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, we the, all the other obstacles, you know, we can all work at together. But when a design thing that you've wanted and asked for and shows up, and then it's like, why didn't I think of that? Like, I didn't understand. I didn't understand the ramifications. And like, how many, how many, how many shows have I been doing? I don't know, 50, 60, 70 shows. And it just proves that you can still have a blind spot with something, right? I mean, and, and isn't that what growth is about? Is it's not about just knowing all the answers. It's about, oh, a new question. I actually have to figure this out. I find that really challenging and exciting and necessary. Otherwise, you know what? I just sit on my front porch and do nothing, you know? So when that marriage of the technical and the script came together, 
did you go home and did you put on a record and dance and say, I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling good? <laughs> uh, no, I wish I did. I mean, in my brain, I might have done that uh, because all of a sudden it was like, um, I don't know, uh, playing playing a game of Tetris or something and one piece moves and then boom, the whole puzzle is solved because one thing then cascades down to the next thing and you go, okay, we can cross here, we can do this. Then all of a sudden it opens this moment, this moment, this moment. But this is why it gets complicated in a show like this. We're in tech now and if somebody turns around and says, and we're in act two, late act two or into act three and they go, well, what about if we move this here? And I go, oh, well, if we do that, then we have to go back 50 pages to figure out what to change. And it also goes downstream and figures that and messes up another 50 pages. So it's, it gets tricky, right? Because yeah. now I don't, I don't know if when you were a kid, I mean, we didn't have like Nintendos and shit. So, you know, we did like pickup sticks yes. and, 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 you know, you don't pick up sticks and you just like, you're pulling one stick out and you're hoping everything doesn't fall on top. Yeah. And that's or what like, it's like. Or like Jenga. You're the, you're the third person to mention Jenga to me. And I don't even, I don't even know what Jenga is because I never played it as a kid. So yeah, same, it's same exactly idea. like Jenga. It's, it's, it's like Jenga. Yeah. Um, um, but, but, but that's how the play becomes, right? It becomes a series of decisions interacting with other decisions and you make, you pull one decision. How does that change all the other ones? And that's, what's going to make it exciting um, for me to yes. see the Lehman brothers at, uh, at the Canadian stage and Philip, I know you're going back into rehearsal. So thank you so much for doing this interview with me. It's been a, a wonderful chat and a revelation. Thank you, Donna. Take care. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was my interview with the legend himself, Philip Aiken. Uh, one thing, I want to let you know that the quote about the cotton um, was taken from an article written by Fiona Ray Clark from Intermission Magazine. There are previews for the Lehman Brothers on the 14th and 15th of November, with the opening happening on the 16th. For more information, visit the Canadian Stage website at canadianstage.com. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. I was a young boy Raised in the city Surrounded by people and things Dreaming of a place that I would run to Where the blackbird sings At first I heard the music And then I saw their dancing Over my ceiling it rise The place waiting deep in my eyes Where the blackbird 
Don't worry, little one. Hear my song, oh little one. Be bold, oh little one, and come along with me. By the people, for the people. CIUT 89.5 FM is the sound of your city. CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. And I just want to take a moment to alert you to the fact that. CIUT's fundraising campaign kicks off tomorrow, November the 13th, and runs until the 19th. And the 19th will be my day to play my part in contributing funds to CIUT and the general running of the station. So I'm hoping that fans of this show and friends of fans of this show um, will donate in support of Arts on the Radio. You know, I really got an opportunity to see the value of this show when I took a break in um, 2015. I believe I took a break for a few months and um, people were coming to me and saying, I have a show. Uh, Can you, are you able to interview me? Can you get the word out about it? And I was, I told them, I said, you know, I'm on a break. And at that point, I thought it was going to be permanent. But I came back because people also said, oh, I miss your show. I miss listening to what's going on in in the city. I miss hearing about hearing from the artists that you speak to um, on a weekly basis. 
And so after that, uh, what turned out to be a break, um, I came back because I've been with the station for over 20 years in various incarnations, starting with By All Means in the 90s and Baba E Mama, and now this show, The More the Merrier with Donna G, where I invite everyone to tune in and listen and communicate with me, let me know what they like, what they don't like. And it's also one of the few remaining spaces on the radio for the arts to be promoted. There used to be a lot more, and I hear this all the time from publicists, how grateful they are that this show exists, because there's very little space for artists, um, especially those that um, sometimes have money, sometimes don't have money, um, for publicity to showcase their work. Yes, uh, social media is wonderful, but there is still a place um, for um, the existence of this station on the FM dial in terms of reaching people. Through the show, I'm able to upload my podcast, um, which is can be accessed via the CIUT website, www.ciut.fm. And if you would like to pledge in advance, please do so. Just click on the donation and be sure to put that you have donated in support of The More The Merrier by doing an advance pledge. You can also let me know as well if you've pledged so I can thank you. My contact details are on the same site, www.ciut.fm. And... Just because I'm doing a fundraising show next week on the 19th does not mean that I won't have guests on the show. I will, and I will make it fun for you as always. But um, it is a fundraising show, and I am hoping that you will support me, A, by listening. Not everybody is able to support financially, but you support me by listening. And B, for those of you who do have some extra money, um, I hope you will tune in to hear my guests and also to donate to the station. So what's next? Well, coming up next, you know I always tell you about film festivals that are happening in the city. And the next one you're going to hear about is the European Union Film Festival. And this is the Toronto branch of the festival. And I'll be interviewing Jeremy Abissera. So let's get into that interview right now. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. Joining me for the very first time here at CIUT is Jeremy Abissera. And he is the executive director of the European Union. Film Festival, the Toronto portion. Jeremy, welcome to my show and welcome to CIUT. Thank you, Donna. Toronto. Hey. Sorry, I, I do have a newborn close by. That's why, but oh, it's old. Okay. So, <laughs> so how old is how old is your baby? Is uh, ten months. Ah, uh, what's his name? Amos. Amos. Okay. All right. 
Now, Jeremy, I understand that the European Union Film Festival has, it takes place in three different cities. You are the ED of Toronto, as I've said, but there's mm -hmm. also Vancouver and Ottawa. And do you work together in, in the selection of the films? Do the consulates from those three cities select the films and each city has the same films? How does it work? So thank you, Donna. So um, first of all, quite a bit has changed with uh, with COVID. So to give you a little bit of the context, before pre-COVID, each festival was kind of organized separately and doing their own um, their own festival. And we had uh, a lot of different films, different titles. Some of them were overlapping, but a lot of different. When COVID took place, we decided to join forces with Ottawa and Vancouver so we, when we talk about Ottawa, we talk about the cinema. The, sorry, the Canadian Film Institute, and Vancouver. Vancouver is the Cinematheque. So we joined forces to have an online festival, and that lasted for a couple of years. Today we are back as a hybrid festival, both in person and online. And we decided to have the same film uh, all across Canada. So we actually have the same programming. In order to do so. We uh, work together with the three organizations and in uh, collaboration, of course, with all the embassies and consulate to establish a programming that uh, hopefully makes sense in like discussion with consulate embassies, but also with the Film Institute in their uh, original country. What can people expect with the Toronto Festival? Um, I know that it runs in person um, from the 16th to the 30th and then online from December 1st to the 17th. So first of all, let people know where the screenings are taking place. Yes, so all the festival takes place at the um, Alliance Francaise of Toronto uh, in the Annex 24 Spadina Road at the Spadina Theatre. In the in the Alliance Française, um, and this is one of the only free film festival in the city. So I, I would like to highlight that it's one of the only uh, like indoor free film festival at least. Uh, so what people can expect is it's a first come first serve uh, access for people who want to watch the film for free, which are the majority. And some people who don't want to line up in advance can also purchase a ten dollar advance reservation to secure a seat but we keep the majority of the theater for free. That's wonderful. And um, that makes it very accessible. And uh, listeners, I want to say hello to Amos, who is Jeremy's 10-month-old, um, who you might hear during this interview. Um, he's starting in the arts young. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry about that. I hope no, 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 no. This is life. This is life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, next next year he'll be selecting some of the films. Exactly. Um, so it, it is free, um, as you say, when people come in advance, but people can also, if as you said, if they want, you know, um to make sure that they have a ticket, they can have the if they have the luxury of ten dollars, they can spend that and buy a ticket online. Exactly. exactly. Yes, and Amos agrees with that. So um I understand that you have some guests coming to some of the some of the films. Who are some of the guests that will be in attendance? Of course. So we have um, three guests coming to uh, like, sorry, we have two guests in person coming and one uh, joining us via Zoom. So we have the director of the Greek film, uh, Listen, the director is Maria Duza, 
who actually came uh, many years ago to the festival to introduce to present another film. So we are very excited about this film. Um, and, and this is a film dealing with challenging of uh, disability uh, like and the world surrounding. So it will be quite interesting as a QA. We have the actress, the we have the main actress of the Hungarian film called Semmelweis, who is coming. Her name is Katika Nagy. And this film, Semmelweis, is a historical drama um, going back to uh, eight, like the 1900 and like big history, passionate history uh, for Hungarian uh, like past. And I think it would be good to have this Q&A to participate. Again, it's one only chance to go to a film for free and discuss with a filmmaker after. And the last one is a Viper Speed from Malta, where we will have the director on Zoom. And this is a political thriller, uh, very engaged about a story that took place in uh, 1984. Um, and this like start to be to have a lot of question. I think people will discover it's will discover a lot about the Maltese history. And I think that's also what's interesting with the festival is diving into some of Europe's less known history and learning about all the diverse uh, past of the, the different like stories and identities of the country. And uh, just running through the through the schedule, I noticed that there's there are a lot of films that are directed by women or deal with the subject uh, of women, the role of women. Can you speak to that, please? Of course, of course. Uh, I think it's quite interesting. And uh, what's interesting is we don't, just to give the, the, the auditor a little bit of the, the background, we don't really consult to make the programming together at once. So it is very much of a result of what's happen, happening in, and taking place in Europe in terms of production. And it's interesting to see year after year what the themes that come up of European cinema. And we see a lot of films uh, either directed or where the main character is woman in very different approach, whether it's a, it's a woman trying to do humanitarian work in Africa with the Bulgarian film Mother, whether it's a comedy of a woman stuck in a car with the French film Freestyle, or whether it's a documentary about a very famous uh, woman writer, a feminist writer, or many other, or like a, a thriller from Lithuania, runner about a woman going after a man. The, the, so it, there's so many stories, and I think all of them are trying to portray a woman in different light. And I, I think it's important to note, to note that in, uh, in European cinema. And I just like talked about a few, but there's many more films dealing with uh, women characters, but also women issue. We talk about Slovakia, for example, where women, uh, 107 mothers dealing with um, Slovak like prison and women condition in prison, which I, I think it's, um, it's, it's interesting to see that through, um, through films. And it's really what the festival gives is given a, a bit of a preview, uh, like an overview of what's taking place in Europe at the moment. Uh, and of course, there is a, a lot of films that are also political or dealing with history, as we would expect. And But there is tones also. There is a European tone. There is a European way of making films. And, and I think a lot of the audience comes for that also. We have a very loyal audience at the festival. And years after years, people like develop a taste for a certain 
kind of film, uh, cinema. So I know, I know, I'm sorry. I know some people uh, have learned to enjoy and discover uh, Scandinavian cinema, which is very little known in, uh, in Canada. We don't have a lot of films even coming to TIFF from Scandinavia. Well, actually, that's my <laughs> that's my key area at TIFF are, are the Nordic films. And I'm happy to see um, a few Nordic films in your roster. The Sami films are breaking through. Rap and the Reindeer out of Finland is something that is on my list because, you know, of my love of, of Nordic films. I love that they're being uh, showcased here. Another one that I want to let our listeners know about. There is the Swedish film, mm -hmm. Comedy Queen, which deals with a 13-year-old girl trying to process the unliving of her mother and trying to make her father uh, laugh. There is also the Danish film, Miss Viborg or Viborg. I'm not sure how you how you pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? Is it Viborg, Miss Viborg? I think it's Viborg, but I don't speak Danish, so it's my, <laughs> my limited yeah. interpretation. Yeah, and that is about intergenerational story between, you know, an aging beauty queen and a rebellious 17-year-old young woman. So there are those films as well. But um, I like the fact, Jeremy, that you mentioned diversity because even among the women, there is diversity being represented on screen. I don't want listeners to think, oh, you see woman and you think, Oh, they can only do one thing. No, diversity within that sector as well. I fully um, agree. Yeah, that's that's definitely, and it's true. That's funny that you mentioned those two films that have very strong portrayal of women and very different at the same time. And and I think that's the chance we have with having so many films dealing with women is seeing women through different light, different roles, different. Uh, way of, of acting, etc. Now, I understand that the, the consulate also pick up films that were at other festivals like Cannes and Berlin and Venice. Can you share about those films, please? Of course, of course. So the, the, the Portuguese film that was a very late addition to the festival, uh, Remains of the Wind, was at uh, at Cannes, this, this past Cannes, it premiered there. Um, and I think it's going to be for people who are looking for more provocative, different kind of uh, engaging uh, film, a little bit like uh, challenging and provocative. This is the kind of film we can have a bit of everything. The Another film, like also around a, a woman, is Till the End of the Night that was at, uh, presented at Berlin, with uh, where the, the men, uh, the actress went, won, sorry, best supporting performance for a role um around like psycho thriller we're here we're talking about also both kind of drama that go beyond the the like play around the lines of gender sexuality identity etc and the last film i wanted to mention is the the polish film leave no traces um that was presented at venice and this one is dealing with a real events uh, happening in uh, 1993 uh, and it's dealing with government and police authorities. And this is also what I think filmmakers want to touch upon when they make film in Europe. It's going back to history and trying to uh, really portray some social injustice, some the issue with human rights. There are scenes where there are, we've had a lot of film dealing with social injustice or immigration or a different issue. And I think 
this is what's key in the festival it's learning about culture languages but also about issues through the history of the countries yes i also want to let people know that um you mentioned it a little bit earlier but there are also genre films and i love irish films and there is a, a genre film double blind um by ian hunt duffy that deals with the the psychological and the thriller aspect of that and uh just to let people know there is a it's not for young audiences but i love um irish films and I just thought i'd throw that one out there mm-hmm. now the in-person as i said runs from the 16th to the 30th online is it the same films or is it a limited number of films uh so there is the majority there is actually 19 films out of the program that will be shown online and there are some film who are only in uh, in person but those are yes the same films so it's also a way for people who missed a few films during the in person to catch up uh, on films after the festival in person is done in terms of uh ticketing those are paid tickets for the online correct for, for the online it's only paid ticket and this is I should mention this is Canada wide so it doesn't matter if you live in uh, Nunavut uh, Saskatchewan or Quebec uh, you can access those films d- December 1st December 17 you've certainly well I should say the union has certainly um put a lot of thought into these films and also um in making it accessible to a wide variety of people and their film taste and uh, Jeremy uh, thank you and Amos, um, for joining me today to talk about the film. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you very much. And that was my interview with Jeremy Abessira, and he is the executive director of the European Union Film Festival. The website is euffto.com, euffto.com. And... You say some things in interviews and then you hear it you hear yourself saying it and I don't know why I said thank you for talking about the film and not the films but Jeremy merci beaucoup um for joining me and talking about the films in the film festival and again check out the website for all the films that will be running in person and online You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. Mettre un enfant sur terre, et si ça t'a mis les nerfs, même pas voir le père, mon avis se perd peut-être parmi tes pensées massées. Sur le palier, ta conscience fatiguée, t'es du père, mais surtout pas dupe. Mère, enfant ou mère seulement, c'est le moment d'affronter la réalité, l'enfant est né hier. Pas de signe de l'autre parent, malgré espoir et prière, prière de laisser dormir les mamans, t'entends couloir, les papas peuvent rester plus longtemps seulement, pas de mensonge qui t'aspire comme une éponge, plonge dans le bain regarde la gifle que la vie t'allonge
pas d'apien ni d'apidés, les murs sont tapissés d'images de photos comme pour rapiécer les morceaux de ta mémoire, celle qui veut oublier la faiblesse de ton cœur. Pourquoi avoir flanché Il a dit qu'il t'aimait Ou t'as voulu l'entendre Tendre la corde pour soi-même, se pendre, rendre Responsable, tout mettre sur dos de l'amour, se faire prendre A son propre jeu, faut assumer T'es assez grande, pas d'apien ni d'apidez Sans que t'as pas pigé Mère tes mères, sans père, tu peux pas te défiler Eh, hey, tu peux pas te défiler Maintenant, va falloir assumer tes mères Son enfant, contre son cœur, savoir qu'on tient son propre sang. Et que sans regret de rancœur, on vive à son heure. On kiffe sa candeur, vise pour lui des hauteurs. Moteur nos actions, on se pose en fraction. Défend sa vie comme les gardes du président le font. Au fond, devenir parent, c'est responsable jusqu'au fond de sa tombe. Et peut-être assuré même d'en haut.
Thank you for tuning in to The More the Merrier with Donna G. You can find me at www.ciut.fm. Click on The More the Merrier. Music in today's show was provided by Alex Bird and the Jazz Mavericks. And you heard Where the Blackbird Sings. And you just heard from Lady Lestie with Ooh Child. Ending now with Amai Kuda et les Bois and Better Day. Too long Wishing these teeth Were for the ones we love And all the stolen years And then they let go All our hopes and prayers Until we pick up stones Take the ones we love Stronger, always pick up our sword and sheets. 